Uh, I'm going to jump right in this morning. Is that okay? Or it's not morning. It's, it's like 4 o'clock in the afternoon. Uh, we're going to jump right in. I'm in the book of Luke, chapter 24, uh, beginning at verse 13. We're going to read through verse 35. I'm reading from the New King James Version, and I think it's going to be up on the screen for us, hopefully at some point, maybe, maybe not. Sorry, I, I gave it to him real late notice, like five minutes ago. So look at that. She's fast. Yeah. All right. Here's what it says. Now behold, two of them were traveling that same day to a village called Emmaus, which was seven miles from Jerusalem. And they talked together of all these things which had happened. So it was while they conversed and reasoned that Jesus himself drew near and went with them. But their eyes were restrained so that they did not know. And he said to them, What kind of conversation is this that you, are, that you have with one another as you walk and are sad? Then the one whose name was Cleopas answered and said to him, Are you the only stranger in Jerusalem, and have you not known the things which happened there in these days? And he said to them, What things? So they answered, so they said to him, the things concerning Jesus of Nazareth, who was a prophet mighty indeed in word before God and all the people, and how the chief priests and our rulers delivered him to be condemned to death and crucified him. But we were hoping that it was he who was going to redeem Israel. Indeed, besides all this, today is the third day since these things happened. Yes, and certain women of our company who arrived at the, team er, at the tomb early astonished us. When they did not find his body, they came saying that they had also seen a vision of angels who said he was alive. And certain of those who were with us went to the tomb and found it just as the women had said, but him they did not see. Then he said to them, O foolish ones, and slow of heart to believe in all that the prophets have spoken. Ought not the Christ to have suffered these things and to enter into his glory? And beginning at Moses and all the prophets, he expounded to them in all the scriptures the things concerning himself. Then they drew near to the village where they were going, and he indicated that he would have gone farther, but they constrained him, saying, Abide with us, for it is toward evening, and the day is far spent. And he went in to stay with them. Now it came to pass, as he sat at the table with them, that he took bread, blessed and broke it, and gave it to them. Then their eyes were opened, and they knew him, and he vanished from their sight. And they said to one another, Did not our heart burn within us while we walked, while we talked, while he talked with us on the road, and while he opened the scriptures to us? So they rose up that very hour and returned to Jerusalem, and found the eleven, and those who were with them gathered together, saying, the Lord is risen indeed and has appeared to Simon. And they told about the things that had happened on the road and how he was known to them in the breaking of bread. Father, I pray today in the name of the Lord Jesus that you would speak to us and give us insight, give us the revelation that we need to get us back on track. I pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. This all happened on Resurrection Day. This happened on Easter Sunday. Like, I have read this story and preached this story and meditated on this story and prayed through this story for years, and it dawned on me today that I often read this story without recognizing the fact that this happened like 45 minutes after the resurrection. I mean, like, he meets with Mary at the tomb and the disciples at the tomb, you know, and, and the disciples, they run in, and, they, and then they see the angels, and they say, he's not here, he's risen, and then the disciples run off, and Mary stands there at the tomb weeping, and, and, uh, and then the angels say, what are you looking for? Why are you looking for the living among the dead? He's not here, he's risen, and she says, where have they taken him? And he turns around, and sees, she sees the gardener, and he says, whom do you seek? And she says, I'm looking for Jesus. Please tell me where you've taken him. And he says, Mary. And she goes, oh, wow, it's you. Her eyes are open. It's Jesus, right? And then he says, go to Jerusalem and tell the disciples that I'm alive and that I'm coming. And she leaves and goes to Jerusalem, and Jesus leaves and goes to the road to Emmaus. He goes to the road to Emmaus. His first priority as the resurrected Lord, Messiah, and Son of God. His first priority 
is to go walk with these two wayward disciples who had lost their faith in him, who had lost their hope in him, who had lost their direction in life, and who were leaving. They were on a seven-mile journey to a city called Emmaus, where their destiny was in Jerusalem. They were heading in the opposite direction of their destiny. And the crazy thing is, this was not Peter or James or John or Bartholomew or or, or Alpheus or any of the, these were not any of the 12 disciples. One of the guy's name was Cleopas. Sounds like a member of the Beverly Hillbillies or something. And the other guy doesn't even tell us what his name was. These are two no-name disciples. I mean, one of them could have been named Nancy. You know? And the other could have been John, you know? Like, these are, these are disciples who were not important parts of the story. Like, so often we tend to think, Jesus would never show up in my life because I'm not an important part of the story. I'm not a past pastor at the church. I'm not a leader at the church. I'm not, I, I don't have an important part to play in the story. But Jesus shows up. You never even hear from these guys again. There's no gospel of Cleopas. <laughs> he doesn't even show up in the book of Acts. Jesus takes the time to walk with these guys on the road to Emmaus to make a point to us. And that point is, when Jesus walks with you, it doesn't, it doesn't matter who you are. Who you are is of no consequence. The only thing that's ever of consequence is who Jesus is. You see, we're reading about these two guys 2,000 years later, not because they were anything, but because Jesus walked with them. The only thing that will ever be significant about your life and my life is that Jesus walks with you. Now, here's what's crazy to me. Jesus, if, if you look at the story, I, this is spoiler alert, right? They walk seven miles to Emmaus, and then they walk seven miles back to Jerusalem. Actually, at the end of this, they're going to run seven miles back to Jerusalem meaning they did 14 miles in one day on foot. Jesus could have saved them a 14-mile trip. See, that's what I would have been mad about. I'd be like, you could have revealed yourself to me in the first mile. You had to wait till I got way out here. How much time could you say, wait, wait, guys, look. Look at the nail prints in my hands. Check it out. Check out my side. You're going the wrong way. Turn around. Come back here. Do you know why we think that way? Because we are so event-oriented, program-oriented. We're so oriented towards our program. And to us, it's always about being efficient, saving time, getting to our destination in a timely manner, when sometimes the Lord is more concerned about the journey than he is about the destination. Jesus walks with these guys for seven miles in the wrong direction. Number one, don't think that just because Jesus is walking with you, you're walking in the right direction. But I felt the presence of God. But I really feel like God is with me. So did those guys. As a matter of fact, as I was meditating on this story, I realized Jesus walked seven miles with them in the wrong direction how many miles did he walk back with them not a single mile the moment they turned towards the right direction he disappeared He'd be like oh man so you could walk here with me but you can't walk back and it said that when he started to walk with them their eyes were restrained from seeing him meaning when they were blind he was visible but the moment he broke the bread and gave it to them, their eyes were open, he disappeared. Like, at, for the whole trip, they were blind, so he stayed visible. The moment they could see, he vanished and disappeared. Like, the moment he handed them the bread, their eyes were, it's Jesus! See you later. <laughs> Never will I leave you. Never will I forsake you. See you later. <laughs> and he just moonwalked on out of there. <laughs> 
right? What's that all about? Why? First of all, I begin to notice that in the Bible, when God manifests his glory, when God manifests, whenever there's a revelation, it's almost always... Now, this, this, this just occurred to me on the way here, so I haven't searched this out. I haven't done a study on this, but I was racking my brain to try to think of one situation in Scripture in which God revealed himself to somebody to tell them that they were on the right track. He always reveals himself to you to tell you that you're going the wrong way. Jacob running from his father's house to his brother's trying to kill him and he gets to the desert goes to sleep and God shows up in a dream and goes you're running from this place but I'm gonna have to bring you back to this place what was the revelation you're going the wrong way but don't worry I'm gonna bring you back into the right way Saul of Tarsus on the road to Damascus to kill Christians Jesus shows up boom you're going the wrong way how about Elijah who decides, that's it for me, I'm done, I'm going to go lay down under the broom tree and lay there till I die. And what does he do? The angel shows up, wakes him up, and then says, you're going the wrong way. Revelation is almost always a corrective. It's almost always a corrective, which means... That if you're in a place where you're saying, I'm not feeling the presence of God. Why is it I don't see the glory of God? The heavens aren't opening. Maybe it's because you're walking in the right direction. Because the moment their eyes were opened and they could see him, he disappears. Why? So that they can begin to walk by faith and not by sight. I'm just let that sink in for a second there. Because some of you just this week were going, Lord, where did your presence go? How come I felt you last week, but I don't feel you this week? It's because last week you were thinking wrong. And he brought revelation to correct the way you were thinking. And now that you're thinking right, it's not that he disappeared. He's there, but now you see him with the eyes of faith. Now you don't have to feel him to know he's there. Now you begin to know him by the spirit instead of by the flesh now you don't have to see to believe now you don't have to stick your finger in his side and see the nail prints in his hands he says blessed are those who have not seen and yet believe it's more blessed to not see and believe it's more blessed to not feel and believe it's more blessed to not experience but still believe when you're standing in the place where you say I don't feel it I don't see it I don't I have not experienced it but I believe it that is the most blessed place that you could be he disappeared from their view so that they could turn and run in the right direction. Now that they know the direction to run in, he's going to let them run by faith and not by sight. Now I want to backtrack a little bit. These two disciples are on the road to Emmaus. It's a seven-mile journey. And the scripture said, that they were conversing with one another and reasoning as they walked on the road. First, it said they were talking about everything that had happened. And then it said in the next verse that they were conversing and reasoning as they were walking on the road. Now, the word conversing in the Greek homileo, it, it literally means to have communion. It means to share the deep stuff that's in your heart. It means to just say, this is what I see. This is what I feel. This is what I hear. This is what I think, right? Now, the word reasoning, it has to do with, it means to process, it means to, to it, there's a rigor to reasoning. It's like you're arguing with one another and you're saying, you're, you're trying to get to the meaning of what you communicated when you were conversing. So first it says they're conversing, homileo, which means I'm telling you what I have experienced. And then they're reasoning. Now help me figure out what this means. They're processing together. You know, a lot of times I hear people say, I'm processing. Well, how are you doing? Well, we're just processing some things. Oh, what are you guys talking about? Oh, we're processing things. Oh, we're processing. How many of you know all processing is not good? Jesus sees them processing without the Holy Spirit. He's like, uh-oh, they're processing without my presence. Processing without my presence is not good. 
because they're going to come to some wrong conclusions that's going to lock them in a prison of deception and they're going to think that they came to the right conclusion because it's the result of processing we're just processing gotta process some things just gotta process it process it you ever stop to think well what is your process you're processing without the holy spirit is when you go and talk with so-and-so about it but you don't stop to talk to Jesus about it it's when you spend more time uh, on the phone or or sitting at a pub or at a coffee shop talking to another person about it than you spend on your knees talking to Jesus about it processing is great as long as you're processing with the Lord I learned this as a married man because uh, if I could just let you in on a little secret every married man how many married men are there in this room well, every married man in this room has a crazy wife. I mean, it's just the truth. Now, if you can say amen to that married men, just lift your hands. I'm just playing. I'm just playing. Look at the husband's like, no, baby, no, of course. He doesn't know you. He doesn't know you. But, but, but it gets better. It gets better because every married woman in this room is married to a fool. At, at, at a certain point, my mother, my mother and I have talked at length about the season in which her and my dad's marriage was about to fall apart. I was about 13 years old at the time, and, and their marriage was tested to the hilt, and it almost cracked, and it almost broke in that season. And I've talked at length with my mom about it, and I talked at length with my dad about it, because I wanted to know what was going on in that season and what was happening, and, and how did you process that, right? How did you deal with that? How did you, well, as a boy, I knew how my mother processed that. You know what she would do? My dad would be out and my mother would be in the living room on her face crying out to God half the night. And I would hear my mother in there crying out to the Lord on behalf of her husband and her family, processing it before the Lord. And so when she would get up off the floor, then she would call family members and friends and people that she trusted would tell her, just divorce him. Just walk away from that. Just let it go. Matter of fact, her pastor at the time told her to divorce him. Had she not been processing before the Lord, she would have listened to some ungodly counsel that came from a godly person. Because just because a person is godly doesn't mean that all of their counsel is godly. And neither can you take the counsel of a godly person and simply do it out of obedience and submission in your heart thinking if it goes bad, it's his fault. When you have not spent five minutes on your knees processing with the Lord, you have the responsibility to hear from God for your own life. You will never be able to stand before God and blame your pastor or anybody else for a decision you made. She went and talked to her pastor. Her pastor said, divorce him. She went and talked to the Lord, and the Lord said, don't you let that man go. Don't you divorce that man you wait and see what I do with that man. And she sat with my great aunt, my great aunt Joe, which was my father's mother's older sister. And my great aunt Joe sat down, and here's the wisdom she, she had for her. She said, she said, Diane, I want you to listen to me and listen to me good. In the life of every married woman, there is a season, whether it's long or short, in which you're going to be married to a fool. She said, but if you could hold on long enough to let him get the fool out of him, you'll have a good man. <laughs> and then the last thing she said was, but better a young fool than an old fool. <laughs> I said, my mother told me that. I, said, I just wrote that down. I was like, what's the point I'm making? The point is, I said all that to say this. You can't share everything with your spouse. You can't talk to your spouse about every, every, listen, listen. <laughs> you knew they were like that before you married them. And now that you're married, you want to talk about it. And you're wondering why they won't hear you. Well, they wouldn't hear you before you got married. Why do you think they're going to hear you now? Because they can't see it. 
The point I'm making is what I had to learn in my marriage is that processing with my wife was not always fruitful, but I could process with the Lord. I, I, there were times when I would try to talk to her, but she couldn't hear me. And guess what? There were times she tried to talk to me, and I couldn't hear her either. Why? Somehow my eyes were closed, and my, I could not see what it was that she was trying to say. Somehow her eyes are closed, and she can't see what I'm trying to say. But guess what? I can process with the one whose eyes are always open. <laughs> For some of y'all, this is prophetic. It's about your future marriage. I, I remember there was one time where my wife cut me to the core with something she said to me. Just like took out a knife and just <laughs> And then she just smiled and went to sleep. She had no clue. No clue. I mean within 30 seconds she was snoring. She had no clue. Now in my younger days I would have woken her up. Hey, hold on a second. What is your problem disrespecting me like that? And it would have turned into a big, nasty argument that wouldn't have gotten anywhere. So I, I, I laid there on my back, and I'm in searing pain. And honestly, if I would have told you what she said, it probably wouldn't have cut you to the core because you ain't got my issues. But it cut me to the core because I got my issues. And typically, you marry the person who can cut you perfectly. <laughs> the person whose, whose knife corresponds to your wound. <laughs> and vice versa. I mean, that, that's very typical. In some area of your life, you guys, you, you and your spouse, you cross, um, you cross trigger one another. You know what cross-triggering is, right? He's like, <laughs> you know, like you both shoot each other at the same time, and you don't even know you shot her. You think she just shot you, <laughs> but you actually shot each other. Anyway, <laughs> I lay there on my back, and I started talking to God about it. I said, Lord, did you hear what she just said to me? What is wrong with her? Why is she so crazy? Why do you give me such a crazy wife? And then I stopped and said, but Lord, what, also, what's wrong with me? Why did that hurt so bad? Why can't I just shake that off? What's going on in me? Lord, what needs to be healed inside me? And then the Lord started to take me deep, and it was a couple-hour process of just talking to the Lord and meditating, and, and I, had this, I had this powerful communion with God in which he reached deep down into my heart, and he showed me an area in my heart. He said, I, I need to heal this. I need to heal this. I said, wow. And, and then I just had this, all of a sudden, the peace of God started to come, and he just started covering me with his peace. And then I just fell asleep, just feeling like I was in the grip of his grace and his peace, and I slept peacefully all night long. The next morning, we got in the car to drive to the office. I said, baby, you cut me deep last night. She said, I did? I said, yeah, you don't remember? She goes, no. And I said, yeah, when you said such and such and such, that cut me deep. You cut me deep, Shrek. Remember that scene? <laughs> You cut me deep right there, Shrek. Remember that scene? <laughs> anyway, I don't know where that came from. But then I said, but then I said, but you know what? I talked to the Lord about it. And I told her about the whole process of talking to the Lord and asking him, where am I broken? And I even told her, yeah, I asked the Lord, why is my wife so crazy? And she laughed. And then I said, and then I asked the Lord, why am I so crazy? And she laughed. And I, I told her how I had processed it with the Lord and how the Lord brought me to a place of peace. And I looked into her eyes, and you know what I saw? I saw compassion and empathy. Our great problem is we think we're wrestling against flesh and blood, and we don't realize that we are not wrestling against flesh and blood. And our problem is that we not only believe we are wrestling against flesh and blood, what, but we also believe that the reward of our wrestling is flesh and blood. We're wrestling against flesh and blood to get something from flesh and blood. And we forget that we are in covenant with the living God. And if we would stop wrestling with flesh and blood and actually 
recognize that our wrestling matches with God. Jacob wrestled with God all night long. And that the reward is that God would break us in the right places and heal us in the right places. These guys are processing without the presence. And there's nothing more dangerous than processing without the presence. Processing without the presence is a sign that you are wise in your own eyes. I've been meditating all week long on Proverbs chapter 3. My son, do not forget my law, but let your heart keep my commandments. For, long, for length of days and long life and peace they will add to you. Let mercy and truth, let not mercy and truth forsake you. Bind them around your neck. Inscribe them on the tablet of your heart and so find favor and high esteem in the sight of God and man. Trust in the Lord with all your heart and lean not on your own understanding. In all your ways acknowledge him and he shall direct your paths. Be not wise in your own eyes. Fear the Lord and depart from evil. Being wise in your own eyes means thinking that, you, that your personal perceptions and opinions are right. That is the definition of wise in your own eyes. You experience something and you think, what I experience, I'm right. You feel something and you assume, I'm right. That's called being wise in your own eyes. And the one thing you cannot experience when you are wise in your own eyes is the fear of the Lord. And if you cannot experience the fear of the Lord, you cannot depart from evil. Being wise in your own eyes will cause you to charge into a very place of danger where you are personally in danger because you can't stop and say, God, maybe you have a perspective that is higher than my perspective. Maybe you see something that I don't see. Maybe you see something in me that needs to be tweaked, that needs to be broken, that needs to be healed. And so Jesus sees these two disciples beginning to process without the presence. And so it says he drew near. Isn't that crazy? Jesus drew near. That's what we want, right? We want draw near. I want to feel your presence. But we tend to think we're not worthy of him drawing near. The reason he won't draw near is because I'm not holy enough. I'm not righteous enough. I haven't prayed enough. I'm not spiritual enough. I'm not this enough. I'm not that enough. And maybe if I could become more of these things, then he'll draw near. But it was the opposite for these guys. At the place where they were in completely in the flesh at the place where they were completely leaning on their own understanding that's where he drew near and here's what's crazy but their eyes were restrained from seeing him they couldn't recognize him it says they were restrained from knowing him his presence was there but they didn't know his presence do you realize that at the place where you're deepest in the flesh Jesus is closest to you so why don't I feel him? Because you're restrained from knowing him. Because the mind of the flesh cannot perceive the things of the spirit of the living God. So Jesus now skillfully is going to lead them out of the flesh and back into the spirit. And it's not, Jesus was like, I mean, when I read Luke 24, I'm like, Jesus was the greatest pastor who ever lived. What an incredible, I mean, dang, it's like, Pastor Ryan sees two members of, of the ark just on a road of rebellion. And so what does he do? He just joins you. Hey, guys, where are we going? <laughs> you know, let's go. All right. They're like, we're about to go out and rebel. And Ryan's like, sounds good to me. Let's go. <laughs> so what are y'all talking about? <laughs> you know, just walking the road of rebellion with you, right? I mean, that's crazy, right? I mean, that's like, that's what Jesus did. He walked with them for seven miles. And then secondly, he didn't immediately correct them. He asked them, what are you guys talking about? What are you talking about? I want to know what's on your heart. You know, one of the problems with prayer is that we don't tell God enough of what's in our hearts. We go to God and we do a religious thing. You know, it used to, your prayer time is all in King James English. <laughs> oh, thou who, who art forever, thou art, thou be thine and thou. You think what God wants is just some like, Prayer time in the key of A minor. <laughs> All righty then. <laughs> you know what I mean? It's like, God does not want some religious time with you. Maybe when you come before the Lord, you should tell him what you're talking about. 
Like tell, yes, stop and listen, but also tell them what you're talking about. Like say the real stuff that's in your heart. Divulge it to the Lord. You gotta learn how to do that, how to come before the Lord and say, God, you know what? I just feel like, honestly, I don't, even, I don't feel like I'm a real Christian right now. I'm so deep in the flesh. Like, I wouldn't know the Holy Spirit if he just breathed on me right now. <laughs> you know what I mean? <laughs> like, you know, am I even saved? Do I need to get saved again? Just tell me, because I'm willing, but I don't know how. I mean, when you, be, when you begin to walk that way, you become far more aware. Like, if somebody were to ask you, just when you're, when you're unaware, people ask you, like, so what is God dealing with in your life? You're like, oh, I don't know. You know, I'm doing pretty good, man. I don't know. I don't know. Do you know the more spiritual become, you become, the more aware of the doo-doo you are? <laughs> the more aware you become of the, I'm bitter. Oh, crap. God, I, I got a buttload of bitterness in my heart, and I don't know how to release it. You know? I mean, it's just storm, just piling up in there. And uh, I need a laxative of the spirit <laughs> to just release all of that junk. I, I don't. I I I realize. I realize how full of bitterness. And all of a sudden, you become aware of it. Now, here's the key: if you become aware of it and you feel condemned by it, that's not God. But becoming aware of it and bringing it into the presence of God. You know, I remember my daughter was younger, and she would have accidents, and she would just come to me. Like, just all soiled. <laughs> and just smile. Clean me up, Daddy. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, just, Daddy's going to clean me up. He's not going to condemn me. He's going to clean me. He's going to wash me. And he's not going to hate me for it. That's, he's my Daddy. That's his job, is to clean me. Now, she hid in her room and tried to hide her excrement. Thinking, I can't smell it all the way in the next room. <laughs> you understand what I'm getting at here? Jesus wanted to know, what are you talking about? And they stopped. It's, uh, that's interesting to me that it says they stopped. They're walking. Jesus says, what are you guys talking about? And they said, you know the stuff that's been going on in Jerusalem. And Jesus goes, what things? And they go, <laughs> like they stop. And they look at Jesus like he's crazy. Are you a stranger? Are you the only stranger in these parts that doesn't know what's been going on over here? And they say, yeah, what's, what's been going on? And they go, you know, about Jesus of Nazareth. Like, they're looking at him like, are you ignorant or something? Like, what's wrong with you? Like, Jesus of Nazareth, not realizing that sometimes God acts like he doesn't know something because he wants to probe your heart. He already knows what you're thinking. He needs you to say it. He needs you to get it out in his presence. And they say, you know about Jesus of Nazareth, the man who was, you know, a, a mighty prophet who was attested in signs and wonders, but, you know, they killed him and they laid him in the tomb, but then some strange stuff has happened and our women went to the tomb and he wasn't there. And then they said they saw angels who told him that he's risen. And Jesus says, you know what your problem is? You're both fools. <laughs> and you're slow of heart. You're fast of feet, but slow of heart. Your feet are fast to run away from the place that God has set you, but your heart is slow to believe all that the prophets have spoken. You need to be slow of feet and fast of heart. Your heart needs to speed up. Your heart is too slow. You are slow of heart to believe all that the prophets have spoken. Did not the Messiah have to suffer before entering into his glory? And then, beginning with Moses, he took them through the entire Old Testament and showed them everything that was written in there about him now they don't even know what's happened they're not even aware of when the change took place in their heart do you know here's the nature of transformation the, the nature of transformation when God does a real transformation in your heart oftentimes you don't even remember when you changed you just wake up and realize oh snap I don't struggle wait a minute I don't, when was the last time I struggled with that dang I don't even remember it you were to ask him at what point on the road did you feel the shift happening you're like Oh, snap, when did that happen? Like we were in the flesh, and then all of a sudden, our hearts were burning within us as he walked with us on the road. I mean, I didn't want to hear Scripture. I didn't want to hear any word of Scripture. And then all of a sudden, 
He's opening up the scriptures to us and he's filling our minds and hearts with everything that was written about the Messiah in the scriptures. There was such a gradual change that they didn't. And Jesus still walking towards rebellion with them. Like Ryan, you know, two guys, where are you going? We're going to the strip club. Ryan's like, let's go. And on the way to the strip club, instead of saying, no, don't go to the strip, he walks with them there. And by the time they arrive there, he has so radically changed their hearts that they don't want to go in. How crazy is that? Why doesn't the Lord just fix me before I start the journey? Because had he appeared to them on the road at mile one and simply said, look, it's me. Yes, they wouldn't have went on the journey, but they also wouldn't have had the deep level transformation of heart that they had. Meaning, he would have fixed their direction, but he wouldn't have fixed their hearts. And the fact that he walked with them for seven miles and made them run back the, the other seven miles meant that now he gets to fix their heart. You know, there's some of you in this room right now and you realize that you're in the wrong place. See, this is what the revelation of Jesus did for those disciples. When they came to their senses and the moment he disappeared from the room, number one, they came to the conclusion that they were in the wrong place. We've been moving in the wrong direction and we're in the wrong place. We're seven miles away from our Jerusalem. Do you realize there's many of you in this room right now and you're seven miles away from your Jerusalem? And what brought you to that place was a loss of hope, a catastrophic loss of hope. We had hoped, that's what they said to Jesus, we had hoped that he was the one to redeem Israel. When your hope dies, the catastrophic loss of hope can cause you to make decisions to move in the wrong direction and you can end up seven miles away from your Jerusalem how did I get here last point I'll make how did he reveal himself to them they get to Emmaus and the disciples are turning in towards the motel six whatever it was and Jesus says, I'll see you guys later. And he starts to. where you didn't have some sign from heaven say make a left turn here there's a place in your life where you don't have like 100% clear divine revelation of God telling you take this job move to this city marry this person but you begin to sense that this is the way walk in it what did the scripture say whether you turn to the whether your ears whether you turn to the right or to the left your ears will hear a voice behind you saying this is the way walk in it you see, God often leads believers through discernment, not necessarily through an audible voice. And so often you're waiting for God to give you an audible voice. You're waiting for a sign from heaven. You're waiting for a prophetic dream. You're waiting for a prophet from Kansas to call you on the phone out of the blue. You're waiting for some meme on Facebook to, you know, <laughs> prophetic memes. Like people actually make decisions for their lives because they saw a meme on Facebook or Instagram. And you're waiting for something like that when if you would simply listen to the still small voice that if God sees that your heart desires to do his will above all things, he will not easily let you out of it. Did, did you hear that? If God sees that your heart desperately desires to do his will above all things, he will not easily let you out of it. If you start to turn to the right, your ears will hear a voice saying, don't go that way, turn this year. If you start to turn to the left, your ears will hear a voice behind you saying, don't go that way, go this way. Sometimes I've learned to listen. I just have a little check in my spirit about it. And I don't even have to know why I have a check in my spirit. I just know that my spirit is not completely at ease with walking in this direction. And so I, I, I pause and I wait for divine direction. The disciples simply sensed we can't let this man get away whoever this man is we can't let him keep walking and so they restrained him and what's interesting is when you read the gospels 
Every time in the Gospels, someone asked Jesus to come, he came. And every time someone asked him to go, he went. Every time. When they said, come and dwell with us, he said, let's go. I got you. When in the region of the Gadarenes, they said, please go away from us, he said, let's go. I got you. If you ask him to come, he'll come. If you ask him to go, he'll go. And they come into the room, and they got on Uber Eats. And they ordered some food. Isn't Uber Eats wonderful? I think it's a gift of the Holy Spirit. But these days, I've ordered it for my daughter a lot, but not for myself, because I'm on keto. I've lost 26 pounds so far. Glory be to God. Hallelujah. I'm becoming less of a man every day. My goal is to become half the man that I am. My ministry doesn't reach where it used to reach. I can't touch who I used to touch. He sits at the table. The keto diet is so unbiblical because you can't eat bread. And Jesus said, I'm the bread of life. He didn't say, I'm the steak of life or the eggs of life. Anyway, okay, enough, enough foolishness. He sat at the table. He sat at the table, and he picked up the bread, and he blessed it, and he broke it, and he gave it. You ever heard of that happening before? Did Jesus ever do that before? The feeding of the 5,000? They brought him the little boy's lunch, and he takes the bread, and he blessed it, and he broke it, and he gave it. He takes the bread. Guys, guys, look at me. These two look at him. It's a miracle's getting ready to happen. And he takes the bread. And he breaks it. And then he stretches out his hands to them. And the moment his hands are stretched out to them with the bread, their eyes are opened. And they recognize him. <gasps> and they take the bread. Now I see Jesus. Remember what Jesus said in Revelation chapter 3, what is it, 321? Behold, I stand at the door and knock. If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come in and eat with him and he with me. Jesus is always known at the table and specifically in the breaking of bread. The breaking of bread was a sign. Remember, he sat with his disciples in the upper room and said, this is my body. He broke the bread, said, this is my body, which is broken for you. Do this in remembrance of me. He says, if you ever forget who I am, just break the bread. If you ever forget who I am, just break the bread. I'm known to you in the breaking of bread. You can always remember me when the bread is being broken. The bread represents the breaking of his body. It's he, What he's literally saying is, if you want to remember me, you remember my sacrifice. And from this day forward, whenever you see a piece of bread being broken, you're going to remember my sacrifice and if you can remember my sacrifice you'll remember who I am and their eyes are opened and their hearts are filled with joy and they take the bread and he vanishes and they turn and look at each other seven miles ago they were filled with hopelessness but now at the end of their journey of rebellion they're filled with hope Seven miles ago, they were filled with sadness. But now at the end of their journey of rebellion, they're filled with joy. Why? Because Jesus decided to walk with them on their road of rebellion. When they weren't doing the wrong, right thing, when they weren't thinking the right way, Jesus walked with them. And they said to each other, did not our heart burn within us as he walked with us on the road? And then they said, let's go. And at that very hour, at that very hour, they checked out of that hotel, they packed up their luggage, 
and they ran the seven miles back to Jerusalem. They walked there, they ran back. That is, the moment they recognized who Jesus was and recognized that they weren't in the right place, a decision was made, and they ran. See, this is the thing. When people say, you know what? My, that's it. I'm about to make a life change. You know what? That's it. I realize that my life needs to change. I'm going to make a major life change. My life's going to change starting next Monday morning. No, push that out to June 1st. I'm going to change my life. Whenever there's a postponement of the change that you know you need to make, you didn't actually have a real revelation. That, listen, post You cannot procrastinate after having a real revelation. I mean, if you got a revelation from God that your boyfriend is not the one, you break up today. You don't give yourself time to kind of think yourself out of that. See, I see it with dieting all the time. I, I did this a thousand times. With di- I'm sorry, you know me, I just talk about what's going on in my life right now. How many times have I said, you know what, I'm sick of being this weight. I'm going to start my new diet next week on Monday. No, wait, Monday I got that lunch appointment with so-and-so. Tuesday, not Tuesday, I got that dinner appointment with so-and-so. Next Wednesday, and I always procrastinate my way out of the change that I need to make. Do you know how I, when I made this change 40, 40, 44, 45 days ago, 44 days ago, when I made the decision, it was 7.20 a.m. on March 14th. I had just poured myself a tall cup of coffee, filled it with vanilla cream, which was full of sugar. Took my first sip and my phone rang. It was a good friend of mine and he was crying. So what's wrong? He said, I had a dream you died last night. Heart attack, stroke. I hung up the phone and poured out that coffee. Because that friend is too prophetic. <laughs> I ain't playing with this one. I'm not procrastinating on this one. I went straight to the doctor. I got everything checked. And then I went to the gym and worked that, and then I went to the store and bought my eggs. And I said, "What do I need for keto? I'm on it right now, right this second." When the revelation of Jesus comes to your heart, when something occurs to you, when you listen, when you get a word from the Lord, you need to make the change right now. You have procrastinated for way too long. The disciples realized we can sit here until the burning stops, and we'll continue our journey. We can sit here until the till this experience is over. We can sit here until the revelation fades, because just as the vision of Jesus faded from their sight, so the afterglow of that vision of Jesus would have faded from their souls. And so often you wait until the afterglow of that revelation fades before you make any try to make any major life change and now your attempt to make the change is diluted now you're back to your own power realize that the moment God speaks to you is the moment that you have the power to make the change right now <clears throat> and they ran back to Jerusalem and they told the 11 we've seen the Lord and he was made known to us in the breaking of bread. The breaking of bread does not simply signify com- uh, the, the broken body of the Lord, but it's the communion with the broken body of the Lord. He didn't just break the bread and say, look, break your bread. This is my body, which is broken for you, and then put the bread in the door, in the drawer. He broke the bread and said, now eat it. You've got to commune with me. Jesus is made known in the place of communion. In that place where you wait in his presence for revelation to transpire in your soul. Some of you are in this place have been asking God for revelation. God is very willing to give it to you. You just got to know a couple things. Number one, you may not like what he actually reveals to you. Because when he does reveal himself, He's probably going to show you that there's some part of your life that's off course. And number two, if you really want him to speak, you've got to be ready to move the moment he speaks. You've got to be ready to move now. Let's pray.
precious Lord Jesus, I'm so grateful to you for each and every one of these sons and daughters of yours. Some of them feel like no-name disciples who are insignificant and unqualified. But to you, there are no such thing as no-name disciples. And I hear you saying to each and every one in this house, I know you by your name. And I'm not ashamed to walk with you. And I'm not ashamed to walk with you even in the area of your failure. And if you'd allow me to open your eyes, I'd show you that I'm closer to you in your failure than I am in your success. Holy Spirit, I pray that you would settle upon each and every heart and that you would come with a supernatural willingness to hear what you would have to speak to us and to turn around and run back towards our Jerusalem. Because, Lord, you want to move us back towards Jerusalem because Jerusalem is our destiny. Your good and perfect purpose for us. I break the spirit of procrastination in Jesus' name. And I say by the word of the Lord that there will be no more delay. You're going to move. You're going to run. And you're going to walk by faith and not by sight. And so I speak blessing and peace over each and every soul. In Jesus' precious holy name, amen. Thanks, baby. All right, so we're going to uh, have some people who are up here to pray for anybody who wants some prayer, um, especially if there's anybody in here who doesn't know the Lord, doesn't know what it means to walk with Jesus yet, and wants to respond to that message and uh, invite him into your life.